Hi, I'm Ant Williams, business psychologist and Guinness World Record holding freediver. For the past two decades, I've been obsessed with a single question. How do the best leaders attract great people and build a culture that delivers results? This podcast is a record of the insights from my work with hundreds of leaders and conversations with experts in pursuit of the answer to this question. For the lifelong learner who wants to give their own leadership a boost, we reveal the universal principles that can be applied by any leader to drive consistently higher performance in their team. Welcome to the Leadership Deep Dive. Hello, and thanks for joining us. I'm here with Terry Condon. I'm Ant Williams, and we're talking about the very first transition from being a team member and moving into a first-time leadership role. Often we call this a first-line leader, front-line leader, people leader, whatever we're going to call it. We're talking about how do you transition and be successful in it. Now, Terry, before I hand it over to you, I'm going to start with a moment of honesty. The very first time I was offered the chance to lead came early in my career. I'd been working on a team with one other bloke. His name was Harald. And after a year of working with Harald, I got tapped on the shoulder and they said, hey, you're doing a pretty good job with this. We're going to put you in charge of Harald. So I was in charge of Harald and a year later, Harald quit. And Harald said to me, and you're the worst boss I've ever had. And I thought, I thought to myself, oh, you're so wrong, Harald. Come on, I'm really good at what I do. But the reality was he was right. It took me ages to figure this out, but he was right. I was wrong. But it took me a long time to work out, well, what was I doing that was so bad? Uh, and it kind of, it brings up our very theme for the day that often we're not told, right? We're not, we're not told. We don't have someone tap us on the shoulder and go, oh, hey, Ant, listen, hey, uh, if you're going to be leading Harold, here's what you need to think of and do differently. So today we're going to cover that stuff. So I'm thrilled to have you here, Terry, to have a chat with you about maybe your experience in leading for the first time, whether it's similar to mine, and then maybe we can unpack some of this stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I would say I learn all the same stuff, but a different way. The way I learned it was work myself to the ground, realize I can't do everything the way I used to do it. <laughs> yeah. And then figure it out from there. Um, just about quit my dream job, by the way. <laughs> that's where I, that's kind of where it got to for me. Yeah. It's so disheartening, isn't it? Where you yeah. think you're going to be so successful at this thing, but it ends up being a flop. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, and, and if somebody sat me down and did tell me some of the stuff we're going to cover, particularly this framework, uh, I just know my first year of leadership would have just gone so much smoother and my life would have been a lot better as well. Well, it's interesting you say that because the framework we're going to talk about in this section is called the leadership pipeline. And, and I love it. I, when I first found out about it, it changed the way that I was leading. Even though I've been leading for a while, it really got me to think differently about how I was doing it. So I think no matter where you are at your stage of career, this framework, the leadership pipeline can be very, very insightful. And where does it come from, this framework? So it's actually from the authors, Shran, Drutter, and Noel from 2001, it dates back to, where it was off the back of the work by uh, a guy called Jacques, who had done work. Uh, he called it the levels of work, which recognizes that in any large organization, there are different layers, uh, different levels of hierarchy in an organization. And what Jacques was saying was, there's different work that needs to be done at each layer. And each layer requires a certain level of competence, of intellect in order to be able to be successful at that level. And so what we can now talk about is in this model of the leadership pipeline, they break it down into the three different components that you need to change every time you go up to the next step in the run. 
Mm. That's important too, isn't it? Because I mean, I've seen this, you've probably seen it too, where somebody gets promoted, they're exceptional at doing what they do. And then when they go up to that next level, they just flounder. Yeah, that's right. And uh, we talk about you get promoted to your highest level of incompetence and then you stay there. <laughs> and we do, we see that happening in organizations, right? Where people get to a level and they probably shouldn't have been promoted to it because they were better at the role before. Well, this is what I'm interested to ask you before we dive into some of the specifics here. How much of it do you think is poor recruitment, right? Because leadership as a skill requires a different aptitude, a different attitude to that individual contribution. Or is it more that we're not supporting our leaders well enough? in these, in these transitions? Well, this is a real debate, but my personal view is that anyone can become a successful leader if they want to and work hard at it. I, like, I do believe there are those who are naturally gifted and born as leaders, but I think that they're the exception. Most of us have to learn the skills. And this is one of it is recognizing what do I have to leave behind from my old role in order to be successful and what new skills and, and attributes do I need to pick up? Okay. So let's talk about this first transition. The one from, you know, you're going from individual contributor. Now you're going to start to manage people. What do we need to think about here? Well, I'll give you an example of what often happens. So you would get someone who's like the best salesperson on a team. And then the organization goes, wow, Terry, you're so good at sales. We're going to tap you on the shoulder and give you the opportunity to lead the sales team. And you're like, oh, yeah, of course, man. I'm really good at this. So you should. And we feel like our head grows. And we're like, this is cool. <laughs> Finally, you're recognizing me for my skills. And we kind of go, oh, we're going to get a pay rise. We're going to get this lofty title of sales manager. So we go, yeah, I'm up for it. And then, of course, they don't necessarily equip you with what you're going to need to know or do in order to be successful. So what often happens is we lose our best salesperson and we inherit the worst possible sales manager. Because what you do is you, you, you try to do more of what made you successful in the past. You try to sell more. You compete against your team members. You, uh, you, you want to show off to them and show how successful you are. Maybe you even take credit for some of your other team members effort because you feel like you ought to be the best salesperson. But in fact, all of these things are detracting from what we really want you to be doing, which is successfully now delivering outcomes through others. So that, that's the kind of main thing here. How are you going to deliver outcomes now through others, not by yourself? Yes. That's the big shift from me to we. That's it. From me to we, that's the big shift. But there's, uh, in this model of the leadership pipeline, it says that if you want to make that shift, there are three changes or three areas that you need to look into. And these kind of make sense when I go through them. But the three things are the skill that you need to acquire, the way you need to think about time differently, and the value that you can create or perceive in the organization. It's these three things. Is that... Did you come across any of those before or you thought about those for yourself? Only when I came across this framework, I was like, yeah, that makes complete sense. That's where I went wrong. <laughs> well, let's go through each one in turn. So let's start with the, the first one being skill. So this one's kind of intuitive, right? We're going, uh, if I was really good as an engineer, really good as in DevOps and developing apps, or I was really good at mathematics, uh, really good at sales, then it's got me to this point in my career. And now I need to acquire some new skills and do less of that. So the new skills, if I'm going to deliver outcomes for others, I'm going to need to know how to delegate well. I'm going to need to think about how do I coach people who aren't at, the, at my level yet in terms of the technical skill. I'm going to need to support them. I'm going to need to help plan out their time as well as my own. And, and, and that's going to be a whole lot of new skills that I need to acquire. So it's, it's kind of like I need to acquire some, what I'm going to call managerial discipline, that ability to plan things out and develop the team around me and invest more time and make sure that they are successful. 
So there is skill in that. It could be coaching. It could be uh, running team meetings. It could be setting an expectation. It could be giving them feedback, having conversations about their performance. All of these things are topics that we're going to touch on, um, that, that we can touch on in a frontline leadership program. But um, it, it's good just to recognize that skill as a bucket of things that I got to do work on could be quite multifaceted, but it's a, it's the cornerstone of, of changing, of being, changing out of that individual contributor model into a, a frontline leader. Yeah. There's a lot we've got to add when you talk through that, right? There's a lot of things, you, new things that you've got to be doing. So you talked before about, we've got to let some things go. And then you say, that's hard to do. I just want to delve into that for a second. Cause we see it a lot. Why are we struggling to let some of these things go? You think, well, I think that it, so imagine you're a, oh, well, let's pick a, let's pick a, um, a career. You're an engineer. So through school, you are interested in uh, physics. You were interested in mathematics and you're good in sciences and a little bit of English. You worked really hard and then you got to university and you did uh, engineering. You learned uh, all these topics that are associated with being a good civil or structural engineer and mathematics and all those good science based things. And then you got out into the workforce. And you were out on site with looking at uh, structures and buildings and bridges, providing advice, giving your expertise, learning as well as you go, going to conferences. And then all of a sudden, you're being promoted. We're saying, Terry, that last eight years, thank you. But now you can leave it behind because we now want you to help others achieve the things that you've achieved. And it's hard. You know, so much of your social identity, your sense of self-worth, who you feel you are in this world is wrapped up in all the things you've done up to this point. What pops up for me when you say that is there's this concept in behavioral economics called sunk cost. And it's a huge sunk yes. cost. So much time, so much energy building this competence, this mastery. And then as you said, you wrap your identity around it. Yeah. And so for you to pick, for you to just walk away from that, that's going to feel, you're going to feel very vulnerable. So what we're saying is we're not really saying you've got to completely leave the stuff behind. We're more saying you've got to take a step to to the left, think about how the, how you can bring up these skills and others through coaching, supporting and developing rather than being the person who solves all the problems or comes up with all the answers. Yep. So that's the first bucket, a skill. And now we need to talk about the second one, which is changing your view around time. So Terry, when you were back in the day, mate, <laughs> and all you had to do was turn up to work every day in the, and uh, you didn't have any management responsibilities. How good was that? Was it very stress-free? Oh, it was just simple. You would just turn up and you'd say, what have I got to do today? Yeah, and exactly. sometimes you made it up for yourself, but most of the time you got told. So you didn't have to have that thought. Yeah. And that's why it's so stress-free. Often we, I meet people today who haven't been managing for years. They go, oh, I just want to go back to what I did when I started out my career. Because it was so stress-free. I just, I was really good at it. I turned up every day and did the same thing. And I didn't have to think that night. I didn't have to worry about tomorrow because I knew tomorrow I'd just go and do the same stuff. Mm -hmm. mm. See, when you uh, are going to become a manager, that doesn't, that doesn't fly anymore because now you've got these tensions in the business. And what I mean by that is you've got these rhythms around reporting, around, around planning ahead, around project management. There are all these things in the business that require you to think ahead. If you've got a team around you, you have to schedule, you have to think about what resources you need. You have to think about what budgets you might have to put in place, uh, what reporting is going to be required, how your team's tracking to those uh, targets. All of these things require you to plan ahead. And if you don't, if you continue to operate the same way you always have done, which is just day by day, 
you're going to get caught out and left behind. Your whole team's going to feel reactive every day and on the back foot. So that's why you have to think of time differently. So if your time horizon was a day, a little blip, now your time horizon has to be one to three months. You've got to think ahead one to three months, otherwise you're going to get caught out. Yeah. So when you start to make that transition, you start to think ahead, what are some of the tools or some of the things that you found helpful to, to make that change? And oh, I'm just thinking about today to think mm. about the future. Cause it's easy to say that, right? Think in three month time horizon, but how do we do it? Oh, I, I reckon this can actually be really relatively simple. What do you, what you need to do is put a time in your calendar once a week where you get two hours of time just to think and plan. We call it plan productivity. Block out that time in your calendar. Do your level best to make sure it's not booked over and use that time to think ahead and plan. Uh, and then once a month, put in uh, maybe a couple of extra hours where you're thinking ahead to the month ahead and really planning things out. So that if you continue to have a good rhythm around that, you, you won't get caught out. It's just that you've got to have that plan and then execute on it. And probably something you need to be able to make that planned productive time productive is priorities, right? Mm. Cause you've got to plan two priorities. So you have to know what's important. Absolutely. First. So if you don't know what that is, what do you do? You do everything and then you get caught out because you're trying to do everything with equal priority and, and you find it, oh my God, I'm overwhelmed. If everything's important, nothing's important. That's it. So yeah, in fact, we'll, we'll, we'll get together and we'll take, we'll create a, a podcast and maybe an instructional video just around how to prioritize and manage your time well. And uh, because it is such a big topic around making sure that you're personally effective, right? Yeah. Yeah. But let's quickly go and talk about that third bucket, which is around value. So previously you, you would have seen the value that you created in the organization that you're in as a frontline contributor is being things like the outputs I produce, the report that I've written, the bridge that I contributed to building, it's all outputs that you've delivered. Whereas now you've got to look at the value that I create and go, I create value elsewhere. I create value from thinking more strategically, from solving complex problems, from fixing a process in our organization that was actually holding us back or was inefficient. It's finding ways to enhance the team and their performance or to delegate or to bring through new talent and know how to get people to, to really reach their potential in your, in your team so that we're building talent through the, the organization. Now, these are the things that where you can add massive value. And the more that you go back, what we call dip down, where you dip down and go back to the things that you used to do, you're actually eroding the value that you can deliver to the organization. So we've got to stop dipping down so much by getting involved in solving problems and fixing stuff. We're going to focus more on where we can create the most value. Do you know what I think is a great case study for somebody who made this transition and made that big shift uh, the hard way? Ah. Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, yeah. Think about Steve Jobs Mark 1. Steve Jobs Mark 1 thought his job was to build products. Steve Jobs Mark 2 realized that his job was to build a company. Mm -hmm. And that's a very different way so of thinking about management. It? And that's why Apple became Apple. Whereas Apple was driven into the ground the first time yeah. around with him. Did so they fire him at the end of that. They fired him. Yeah. yeah. And he was a horrible, horrible manager. Um, and yeah, I, he used to park in handicap zones and he used to make people cry all the time. Horrific manager. Horrific. <laughs> but Steve Jobs Mark II was a different, different person, um, right? He had to go through that whole process, take it to the nth degree and realize that's, that didn't work. And I need to become a different version of me. Now, was he a perfect person? No. But he absolutely understood the value of the people around him. So, you know, you know, you talk about like the Johnny Ives and these people that worked around him closely. Mm. He was way more concerned about what we were getting done together than what I did. 
Yeah. So he saw the value that he could bring is quite different. And it's, a, it's always just like a mindset shift, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a different world for you and where I'm going to create the most value. And, and if you're listening to this game, well, oh, how do I know if I'm really focused in the areas of adding the most value possible or whether I'm doing this thing dipping down? One simple way to know that is to look into your calendar and go back for the last two weeks. <laughs> this is a brutal exercise for you go, okay, where, where were the moments where I added really good value as a manager and where were the rant about the rest of the time? What, how much time was I invested in doing what I used to do in my old job, which is just a frontline contributor. And sometimes it's horrifying where you go, oh my God, I'm, I'd be paid at this level as a manager, but actually what I'm doing is I'm doing my old job and adding value at that level. So going back to the whole levels of work, if you're getting paid more and having more responsibilities, you go up the levels, then you've got to operate at that level and stop dipping down. Yeah, and I think that's spot on. And heads up, if you're not using a calendar yet, you're probably not managing your time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. What do you think, Terry? What do we need to cover now in terms of how people make this transition? I guess it comes down to how do you know you're doing it well? Or, or you know, how would you know you're being successful, right? Isn't it? Yeah. I think that's good. Yeah. How do you know? How do you know if you're, what, doing it well? Yeah. I think there's certain things that would stand out if you were getting this right. You would notice that your team was being productive. They were occupied. They didn't, they weren't sitting on their hands. You know, they had, they had good work to do that. You're investing time in them on a regular basis, meeting with them regularly and checking in that they were learning, evolving and doing good work. You'd also notice that you're delegating effectively uh, to each person and allocating more of your time to coaching, supporting, developing them. You're also going to notice that the team is productive and that you're stable and you're not doing what we call working to a crescendo, which is highly reactive. We just, here comes the deadline and let's work harder, harder, and harder. Because if, you, if you're planning and using your calendar and meeting regularly with your team, you've got a good rhythm around that, then things should be proactive and really stable. You'll also be able to, to uh, feel like you've got plenty of time to focus on the priorities. You'll still struggle with things like the amount of an email that you're getting and requests for meetings. And we'll talk about that in another session and how to manage some of that. Those things won't go away, but you'll gradually get better and better at those things if you get these fundamentals right. You know, when you say that, it reminds me, there was a day that I realized that I'd done this right. After I took it to the answer green, I burnt out and I realized that's not going to work. I need to, I need to think differently about this role of manager. Mm. And I'll tell you what happened. I was on my way to work and there was a massive car accident. Um, it was on Punt Road in Melbourne. And if you've ever been on Punt Road, just, it doesn't go anywhere. No, it's... <laughs> And it doesn't go anywhere when it's going. So then think about an accident, right? I'm an hour late. I'm an hour late to the day, that day at work. And by the time I turned up, the guys that I was managing had done absolutely everything. And they had done it at a level where I was like, I am irrelevant. <laughs> and I quit after that. Because I, I needed that next challenge. I'm like, I am now, I've kind of promoted, I've got myself to a point where I'm actually redundant and I'm looking for the next challenge. Yeah, but some of us are afraid of that happening. In fact, I know managers who, who literally will not develop their people for fear that they will lose their job like that. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that it's worth it. And the reason why is because what ended up happening for me is that I freed up all that time and space and I had much better quality conversations with the people that I was working with. And enables you to focus on areas where you can create the most value. Often we miss this is if, if your time's freed up because you've got highly capable people around you, then you can work on more strategic things, more problem solving, more big picture stuff. 
So what happened for me is that's what I started to try to do. And it was hard for me to do that in the current organization. So I quit knowing Mm. that that was the level I'd got to and I would plateau. So when I quit, that was recognized elsewhere. And I ended up doubling my salary, having much higher responsibilities, working at an international level um, in a career that most people will never get into. And it was all because of that kind of transition, that process. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I guess the last thing to cover then is how would you know if it wasn't working? (laughs) We've touched on some of those things, but I wanted to share with you a few things that actually come out of the book that was written by Shran, Drotter and Noel back in 2001, where they talk about uh, what's called a misplaced manager. So we should touch on this because some people will be listening going, well, how would I know if I'm getting this wrong? So there are some symptoms of a misplaced manager. The first one is that we view questions from uh, our people as being interruptions. So when they come to you for help, we go, ooh, go away. You know, I'm trying to get some work done. That's a sign that you're a misplaced manager. We also focus on fixing the mistakes of others rather than coaching them and developing them how to work properly themselves. So it's like, oh, no, you're not up for it, Terry. Give it back to me. I'll fix it and give it back to you. And the more we do that, we, we, come, we, we create ourselves as a crutch for those people because they don't learn. We just keep fixing their mistakes. And, and it's a, a real sign of a misplaced manager. And if you do both of those things, then what happens is that you gradually become to feel overwhelmed because you won't have confidence in delegating to other people because for fear that they can't do it as well as you can. And that's a real trap. And, and when those things are in play, there's another thing that arises, which is often a misplaced manager won't take root. They won't accept that they're responsible for the work that's being delivered by the team, whether it's good or bad, because they still feel it's only about the things that they produce. So they'll distance themselves from the problems and the failures of the team. So if you spot any of those things in yourself, that's a good sign that you need to be doing some work around these three areas. So in summary, those three areas, change your skill. What skills can I leave behind? What can I, what can I work on or build? Time frames. How do I think differently about my, uh, my use of time? And in particular, stretching out my time horizons from being just a day or two to really thinking through in the rhythm of a business of one to three months. And then lastly, the value, where do I add the most value now? And it's going to be different from where I've added the most value in the past. Thinking about these three areas. I reckon that's a pretty good summary. Thank you. <laughs> but it's probably also, there's probably also a question in some people's mind though, where do I bloody start? Like, what, what can I bite off first? Well, how would you answer that? Where do we start? Well, I, I think the, the easiest place to start is around that first bucket around skill. Um, so, so what's going to enable me to... To, to really connect with my team, get to know them, build some trust in my team uh, and start communicating with them really well. So it'll be having conversations with them about their goals, their expectations, having a view for what the team's purpose is and what you're trying to achieve together. That would be the first thing I would do to start having really good conversations just to get to know your team members and share with them what your expectations are within that team. The second thing I'd do is around that timeframes piece. I would carve out a couple hours a week minimum where I'd go, I'm just going to think about how we're going, what I'm going to do, plan out my time, put it in the calendar, and then really try to focus on putting those priority things in first and then allowing other things to go in around it in my calendar. I don't know. What do you think? Was, are they the two things you would do first? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't disagree. I, that's what I would do. I'd start with the skill side of things and think, what do I add? What do I sort of let go of a little bit and do less of? Um, and make a pretty clear intention about that. Because that's where I went wrong, right? Is I just continued to add and I didn't do any subtracting and I burnt out. Yeah, I think it is being about about knowing what it is and being intentional about it. So 
If no one's ever shared these things with you in the past, consider that me and Terry are tapping you on the shoulder right now and saying, hey, listen, this is what you need to change. And now is the time to do it. Think differently about how you are leading, or if you're about to go into a leadership role for the first time, here's some really solid foundational advice on how to think about what you need to let go of and what you need to pick up and start doing in order to start off on the right foot. It's never too late to start doing this stuff, but it requires creating some space and perspective to think differently about it. So give it a go. It's not complex. It just requires some, a little bit of thought and planning out and, and you can be really successful as a frontline people leader. Pretty fast too, I would say, as long as it's a focus. I agree. Just make it a focus and get your, the foundation of these three things right and you will be set up for success. If you're responsible for learning and development at your company and you'd like to know more about how we help fast growth firms deliver high impact training for their leaders, then click the link in the show notes to get in touch. 